We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And away we go. Episode 456 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Monday, December 5th, 2022. And, uh, well, it wasn't a win, but it wasn't a loss. It was a tie. The Commanders now are 7-5-1. and one. A 20-all tie at the New York Giants on Sunday afternoon. Former Redskins kicker Graham Gano missing a 58-yard field goal attempt as time expired. Uh, Washington's first tie in the regular season since the 27-all tie with the Cincinnati Bengals in London on October 30th, 2016. I must say, this tie on Sunday afternoon felt a lot better than that tie with the Bengals in London six years ago. That tie felt like a loss. This tie felt like, uh, well, a tie. (laughs) Even though uh, the Commanders did blow a 10-0 early second quarter lead. But how about this? This 20-all tie for the Commanders at the Giants is the Giants' first regular season tie since the 7-all tie at the Redskins on Sunday Night Football on November 23rd. 1997. Uh, That was the famous Gus Farad headbutt (laughs) the FedEx field wall game. Uh, But yeah, not since that game have the Giants had a regular season tie. Hello and welcome to this Commander's Postgame Show, Monday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. What do we call this? It's not a victory Monday. Uh, It's not like a gloomy Monday. It's a tie Monday, I guess. I don't know. Uh, Ties in the NFL are rare. Uh, Ties in the NFL make for wordy records as the teams in the tie are no longer something and something. Uh, They're now something, something, and something. Uh, But ties are a reality in the NFL. Uh, The truth is that this tie for the Commanders is fine if they win their next game, which is a game against the Giants at FedEx Field in Week 15 off the Week 14 bye. But the truth also is that The Commanders, for now, are out of the playoffs. Uh, The Seattle Seahawks improved to 7-5 with a 27-23 win at the Los Angeles Rams on Sunday, and now the Commanders are 8th in the NFC. Percentage points behind the Seahawks for the NFC's third and final wildcard spot because 7-5-1 is not as good 
as 7-5. and five. There's also this. San Francisco 49ers quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo suffered a season-ending foot injury in the Niners' 33-17 win over the Miami Dolphins on Sunday, and that is of particular significance to us as Commanders fans because the Commanders are at the Niners on Christmas Eve afternoon, Saturday, December 24th at 4.05 p.m., and ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter on Sunday night reported that the Niners are signing former Redskins quarterback Josh Johnson off the Denver Broncos practice squad. Uh, Not necessarily to start, but uh, obviously he could end up starting, as he did end up starting for the Redskins late in the 2018 season. There is a lot to process with all that is happening with our commanders. Uh, This 20-all tie for the commanders at the Giants, a lot that we're going to get into with this game. Next segment, I'll go in-depth on what was a wild game for the commander's offense, uh, there was some good, as in the great fourth quarter comeback, and there was some not so good, as in the pass protection. Uh, I'll also address the officiating in the game. Uh, I'll then talk commander's defense, which to me was good yet again. Perfect, no, but good enough to win, absolutely. And the defense continues to play well despite missing some key pieces. You will hear the best of head coach Rod Rivera's post-game press conference as well. Also on the show, I'll discuss the rest of our Washington, D.C. area sports weekend. Uh, I'll talk Wizards. Uh, not a good weekend for the Wiz. Uh, Friday night, a 117-116 loss at the Charlotte Hornets. Sunday evening, a 130-119 loss to the Los Angeles Lakers at Capital One Arena as, well, most of you were still processing the tie at the Giants. Uh, The Wizards were processing Anthony Davis scoring 55 points. Yes, 55 points. Uh, He also had 17 rebounds and three blocks, and Bradley Beal got hurt. Uh, Just lovely. Uh, I'll talk college hoops. Uh, Conference season opening wins for Maryland, Virginia, and Virginia Tech. Uh, Also, another loss for Georgetown. Uh, For number 22, Maryland, a really nice 71-66 home win over number 16, Illinois, on Friday night. Number three, Virginia, a 62-57 home win over Florida State on Saturday afternoon. Virginia Tech, the Hokies, an 80-72 home win over number 18, North Carolina, on Sunday afternoon. And Georgetown, uh, well, it blew an 11-point halftime lead in a 74-71 home overtime loss to South Carolina on Saturday afternoon. I'll talk Capitals, uh, another loss for them. Uh, Also, two more injuries for the Camps. 5-2 loss at the Calgary Flames late night on Saturday night. And I have an Orioles segment for you as the 2022 MLB winter meetings are underway. We on Saturday afternoon had multiple reports of a move by the O's, uh, them having agreed with free agent starting pitcher Kyle Gibson on a one-year contract. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com, including if you would like to advertise on the Al Galdi podcast and grow your business or practice by reaching thousands of people every episode at a very affordable price as the commanders continue their playoff push. Hit us up. The email address is the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Lots of feedback on the Manders off this tie at the Giants, including the officiating. Uh, tweet from Panda DMV 
getting a tie when you're up against both a good team and the refs is a win. Good point, Panda. Good point. Uh, tweet from Richard might have been the worst officiating I have seen in the NFL this year. Tweet from Michael happens every time we play. Refs hate it the Commanders. Uh, tweet from Rob Bailey. We had the win that felt like a loss earlier this year against Chicago. This tie against the Giants feels more like a win. Keeps us square in the playoff mix. Yeah, I mean, it really depends on how you look at the game at the Giants, because like I said, the Commanders did blow a 10-0 lead that the team had early in the second quarter, but the Commanders did rally with a terrific late fourth quarter touchdown off a great game tying drive, the details of which I will explore next segment. Uh, Tweet from Put Snyder in Prison. I love some of these names on Twitter. I feel good. The tie pretty much just doubled the stakes for the next game, which will be at home and off a bye. Yes, now finally does come the commander's bye week for the 2022 season, and the commanders could use this bye week. Uh, And next up is another game against the Giants. Commanders Giants at FedEx Field in week 15 in a game that could be on Saturday, December 17th, or Sunday, December 18th. Uh, We still do not know when exactly that game will be. We do know, though, that Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer free skin cancer screenings. Yes, free. Call 301-396-3401 and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Skin cancer is among the most common of all cancers in the United States, but the good news is that skin cancer also is among the most curable forms of cancer, right? Just ask Rod Rivera. Uh, But get checked, get screened, and you can do so for free with Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Dr. Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists. He's a big fan of the commanders. He's a loyal listener of this podcast, and operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. The Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland diagnoses and treats a broad range of acute and chronic skin conditions, including skin cancer. And yes, Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer free skin cancer screenings and offer state-of-the-art treatments for skin cancer. Dr. Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland are the DMV's number one outlet for Mohs Skin Cancer Surgery and for Superficial Radiation Therapy, or SRT, which is an alternative to surgical procedures for basal cell and squamous cell skin cancers. You won't find better, more state-of-the-art, or more comprehensive skin treatment and services than what you can get from Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Early detection and treatment of skin cancer save lives. If you have questions or concerns about your skin, call Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland at 301-396-3401. That's 301-396-3401. And make sure that you tell the Institute that Al Galdi sent you. That's 301-396-3401. 3401. You can also visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, nationally recognized for treating skin cancer across the Mid-Atlantic region.
Well, please consider rating and reviewing the podcast. If you haven't yet done those things, you want Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you want Apple Podcasts can write a brief review saying that you like the podcast. The ratings and the reviews help us out a lot. And I thank you for doing them. Well, if you're not sure how to feel about the commanders moving to 7-5 at 1 uh, with this 20-all tie at the New York Giants on Sunday afternoon, you are not alone in not knowing how to feel. Uh, This was Commander's Head Coach Ron Rivera during his post-game press conference on Sunday afternoon. I I addressed them, and I wasn't sure how to address them. Um, You know, because we came up here, and, 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 you know, we expected to win. And uh, we didn't. We tied. And it's, uh, you know, because it doesn't hurt us, it doesn't help us, uh, because these are the guys that we're competing with right now. And so next week, or in two weeks, we'll have to reset and get ready to compete against them again. So we just got to focus in on, 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 on the next few days, getting everybody as healthy as we can possibly get them, get everybody back out on the practice field as, as quickly as we can for next week. Uh, I mean, two weeks, and then, uh, then see what happens. Um, but, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm still kind of stunned a little bit. Yeah, I think we all are. And, uh, you know, I hate to be a whiny biatch, okay? That is one of the great words ever coined, by the way. Biatch. Thank you, Snoop Dogg. Biatch. (laughs) Yeah, biatch. Uh, I do not want to spend a lot of time being a whiny biatch, but the commanders in this tie at the Giants got done dirty by some bad officiating. And yes, every NFL game features questionable calls and missed calls. And there were some things in the game that went the commander's way, no doubt. But there were not one, not two, but three major snaps on which officiating went against the commanders in a significant way, uh, including two instances that, to me, were egregious. We'll start with the commander's fourth offensive drive. Uh, It resulted in kicker Joey Sly's second quarter 42-yard field goal for a 13-10 commander's lead. The 12th snap of the drive, the snap right before the field goal. Third and 10 for the commanders at the Giants 24. Officials initially threw a flag, but then picked up the flag on what ended up being a shotgunning completion from quarterback Taylor Heineke intended for receiver Terry McLaurin who appeared to have been interfered with by former Washington defensive back Fabian Moreau near the goal line. The flag was thrown. This was set up to be a massive gain for the commanders via a defensive pass interference penalty, but somehow, some way, the flag got picked up, no penalty, and the commanders settled for a field goal. The commander's seventh offensive drive. Uh, this drive resulted in a third quarter punt, despite the drive eating up nearly eight minutes off the clock. Yeah, this was a near eight-minute drive, and yet the commanders ended up punting. Uh, But the 10th snap of the drive tied in Logan Thomas, a second-and-six, 10-yard, illegal block above the waist penalty. I could not stand this call. Uh, Logan bounced off the right side of Giants inside linebacker, Micah McFadden. Logan did not block McFadden from the back. Now, upon bouncing off the right side of McFadden, Logan wound up behind McFadden, but that is not an illegal block above the waist. And yet, that got called that way. Uh, I could not stand that call. 
And then the worst botch of all, okay? And this really isn't debatable, this one, how bad this was. Commander's eighth offensive drive resulted in Joey Sly's fourth quarter missed 52-yard field goal attempt. The 12th snap of the drive, the snap right before the missed field goal attempt. On a third and 13 for the Commanders at the Giants 28, edge defender Kayvon Thibodeau literally ripped off the helmet of right tackle Cornelius Lucas. But no penalty was called. (laughs) No penalty was called on what ended up being a sack of Taylor Heineke by interior defensive lineman Dexter Lawrence for a six-yard loss. I mean, this is not like a judgment call. Maybe Thibodeau did this. Maybe Thibodeau did that. No, this was Kayvon Thibodeau literally ripped off the helmet of Cornelius Lucas, but no penalty was called. Three major snaps on which officiating went against the commanders in a significant way, including two instances that were really bad, the Logan Thomas and Cornelius Lucas instances. And all three of these instances happened with the commanders on offense in a game that resulted in a 20-all tie. If any one of these instances is called differently slash correctly, we may well be talking about a commander's win right now. But the tie, of course, wasn't solely on the officiating. Uh, The commander scored just 20 points over four quarters and an entire overtime. The commander's defense played well. Uh, More on that next segment. But the commander's offense was the problem. And, you know, I say problem sort of reluctantly because the offense certainly did some good things. You know, the offense for the commanders wasn't all bad. Uh, This was a mixed performance by the offense, but there was not enough good from the offense. Uh, The biggest problem for the offense to me was the pass protection. Uh, Taylor Heineke got pummeled on Sunday afternoon, and this was especially disappointing because Taylor had not taken a single sack in each of the previous two games, but he ended up taking five sacks in this game. The commanders allowed the Giants to finish with five sacks and 10 quarterback hits. Uh, This was a wild game for the commander's offensive line because, you know, it, from a run blocking standpoint, did well. But the line from a pass blocking standpoint wasn't close to being what you would want. You also had more injury for the offensive line. So the commanders went into the game without multiple key offensive linemen. A right guard, Trey Turner, was inactive due to knee and ankle ailments. And remember, center Chase Roulier remains on the reserve injured list. Uh, This kind of gets forgotten, but Chase has been on that reserve injured list since September 20th due to a right knee injury that he suffered in the loss at the Detroit Lions in week two. Uh, The commander's starting offensive line was Charles Leno Jr. at left tackle, Andrew Norwell at left guard, Tyler Larson at center, Samuel Cosme at right guard. Yes, Cosme ended up being the starting right guard and Cornelius Lucas at right tackle. But Cosme and Larson got hurt. Uh, Samuel Cosme got hurt on the first offensive snap of the third quarter. Uh, He suffered an ankle injury. Boy, has Sam Cosme had a hard time staying healthy. Uh, But replacing him was Wes Schweitzer. Uh, He was back on Sunday afternoon. The commanders on Saturday activated Wes to the 53-man roster from the reserve injured list. Uh, He had been on that since October 1st due to a concussion that he suffered in the loss to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field in Week 3. And then Tyler Larson got carted off the field 
in the fourth quarter. Uh, he was replaced by Nick Martin. Uh, Larson, after the game, was seen on crutches with his right leg in a brace. Uh, that's not good. Uh, he, on Sunday night, tweeted, quote, hashtag safer fields, end quote. Uh, that would be a clear shot at MetLife Stadium in New Jersey. Uh, MetLife Stadium is considered to have one of the worst playing surfaces in the NFL. So the commander's offensive line had a lot going on in this game. The Giants are known for blitzing. The Giants are known for having some quality pass rushers in guys like Kayvon Thibodeau and edge defender Aziz Ojulari. And the Giants ended up generating a lot of pressure on Sunday afternoon. And the pressure was not handled well by the Commanders. I mean, how about the disastrous play in overtime? The Commanders' 13th offensive drive was their second offensive drive in overtime, resulted in a three and out. The first snap of the drive, a first and 10 for the Commanders at their 10. Kayvon Thibodeau came in unblocked for a sack at Taylor Heineke for an eight-yard loss. You have the ball at your own 10, you take an eight-yard loss on a first and 10 sack. Uh, the play nearly resulted in a game-ending safety, and Thibodeau was not blocked. He came in unblocked. Uh, he was not picked up by Charles Leno Jr. Now, hard to say who exactly was at fault for this, but obviously something went wrong. Uh, this was Rod Rivera during his post-game press conference on Sunday afternoon on this play. We missed a protection call on on the sack and at you know, near the end of the game. We we had a opportunity to correct it and we didn't correct it and we were late because of it. All right, there you go. Uh, it's possible that that sack was on the center, Nick Martin. Uh, it's also possible that that play was on the quarterback, Taylor Heineke. Uh, Taylor on Sunday afternoon had two fumbles on sack strips, including a loss fumble on the opening drive of the third quarter. Uh, this was a killer. Commander's sixth offensive drive, opening drive of the second half, the third snap of the drive, third and eight for the Commanders at their 25. Taylor Heineke, a loss fumble on a sack strip by Aziz Ojulari, who got through tight end John Bates and running back Antonio Gibson. Taylor was under duress for so much of the game. You know, he ultimately quarterbacked a commander's offense that went just 3 of 14 on third downs. This was another bad game for the commander's offense in terms of third downs. Uh, Taylor did throw for 275 yards, but on 41 pass attempts, uh, that works out to a yards per pass attempt of just 6.71. Uh, some costly penalties for the commanders on offense. The commander's eighth offensive drive resulted in Joey Sly's fourth quarter miss 52-yard field goal. The ninth snap of the drive tied in Cole Turner, a first and 10, 10-yard holding penalty. The commander's ninth offensive drive resulted in a fourth quarter three and out. The first snap of that drive, first and 10 for the commanders at their nine. Charles Leno Jr. committed a five-yard holding penalty. Uh, you know, the Giants for the 2022 regular season through Week 12 were just 28th in the NFL in pass defense per Football Outsiders DVOA metric. Uh, this was a Giants pass defense that could have been feasted on, but the Giants pass defense was not feasted on. That said, there were some really good things from the commander's offense. Uh, Taylor Heineke, to me, was more good than bad. Uh, you know, he notched his fifth fourth quarter comeback as a Washington quarterback in the regular season. He now has five fourth quarter comebacks over 22 regular season starts 
for Washington. Uh, Pro Football Reference defines a fourth quarter comeback as an offensive scoring drive in the fourth quarter for a team trailing by one score, though not necessarily a drive to take the lead. Uh, Only drives from games that end in wins or ties are counted. Well, uh, Taylor should be getting credit for a fourth quarter comeback for his work in this game. Now, it is true that fourth quarter comebacks are in part a function of opportunity, i.e., if you're on a mediocre or bad team, you're likely trailing in games quite often, and thus you're going to have more opportunity for fourth quarter comebacks. But, you know, it's hard to have five fourth quarter comebacks over 22 regular season starts and not be doing at least a few things well, okay? Uh, The commander's 10th offensive drive resulted in Taylor Heineke's first and 10 28-yard shotgun touchdown pass to receiver Jahan Dotson with a minute 45 left in the fourth quarter. Uh, Dotson was spectacular on this play, a tremendous run after the catch. The ensuing extra point tied the game at 20. But the first snap of the drive, first and 10 for the commanders at their 10, Taylor Heineke beat the blitz with an 11-yard shotgun completion to receiver Terry McLaurin. The fifth snap of the drive, the next-to-last snap prior to the second-half two-minute warning. Fourth and four for the Commanders at their 27. Taylor Heineke, a 20-yard shotgun completion to receiver Curtis Samuel off Taylor scrambling to his left on a broken play on which three Giants players were running after Taylor. What a play this was by Taylor Heineke. The seventh snap of the drive, the first snap after that second half two-minute warning and the snap right before the touchdown, Taylor Heineke, a second and 10 at 25-yard shotgun completion to Curtis Samuel. Ron Rivera, during his post-game press conference on Sunday afternoon, on what he saw from Taylor Heineke during that game-tying drive in the fourth quarter. I mean, that's kind of him. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's going to take what's in front of him, and then he's going to take a shot here and then and he's going to try and make something happen, which he did. And, and because that's who he is, that gave us a chance. I mean, and, and again, if, if we can eliminate some of the missed things, um, I think he could, he could even uh, could, could have made a few more plays for us. Okay. And as for what Rod Rivera saw on the fourth and four 20-yard completion to Curtis Samuel from Taylor Heineke, um, that's kind of his thing, you know, is that when he's on the move, he creates, he can buy time. And, and what's really even better about this is, is his teammates are in tune with that. You know, when they see him break the pocket, now they get into scramble mode. Guys start finding open areas and he's always, he's got his eyes down. He's not looking to run. He's looking to throw the ball downfield. And, and, and that's one of the attributes I think that really helps him is because he is a very headsy guy and he understands that there's guys downfield. Yeah, you know, Taylor Heineke in this tie at the Giants uh, for the first time in seven starts in the 2022 regular season had a game in which he had at least two touchdown passes versus no interceptions. Uh, Taylor's first touchdown pass of the game, really impressive. Commander's second offensive drive resulted in Taylor's first quarter third and four 19-yard shotgun touchdown pass to receiver Terry McLaurin. Now, this was another instance of a commander's receiver making a great play. Terry made a one-armed catch with his right arm, then broke through an attempted tackle by Fabian Moreau, and then jogged into the end zone. But Taylor on the play, very nice job of stepping up in the pocket and away from pressure from Aziz Ojulari, and then making a sidearm throw 
to Terry McLaurin. Uh, Taylor in this game completed 27 of his 41 pass attempts. That works out to a completion percentage of 65.85. That's good. And Taylor did all of this while taking a pounding. Again, the Giants finished with five sacks and 10 quarterback hits. There is a toughness to Taylor Heineke that I know that he gets credit for, but I don't think you can harp on that enough. This guy is tough, man. You know, and all of the durability questions that people had about him going into last season, isn't it funny how those questions have just disappeared? This guy has held up over the last two seasons, making a bunch of starts for Washington. Uh, How great were the commander's top three receivers in this tie at the Giants? Uh, Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, and Jahan Dodson. Maybe the single best game this season in terms of all three of those guys all producing at substantial levels. Uh, Terry Curtis and Jahan. I mean, this to me is Washington's best top three at receiver since Pierre Garçon, Deshaun Jackson, and Jamison Crowder in 2016. And, you know, Terry Curtis and Jahan could be, and I stress that word could uh, be, the team's best top three at receiver since the greatest top three at receiver in franchise history, the posse. Art Monk, Gary Clark, and Ricky Sanders. Now, you know, we're not there yet in terms of Terry Curtis and Jahan being at that level, but in terms of the best top three at receiver for the team since the days of the posse, uh, yeah, Terry Curtis and Jahan may be the team's best top three since the posse. We'll see what happens the rest of this season and beyond. Uh, Terry McLaurin on Sunday afternoon, big game, eight receptions, for 105 yards and a touchdown on 12 targets. He drew a penalty, and uh, he should have drawn another penalty, as we discussed earlier in the segment. But, you know, Terry, with his performance in this game, became just the sixth player in NFL history to have at least 50 receptions and at least 900 receiving yards in each of his first four regular seasons. And he joined receivers Randy Moss, A.J. Green, Michael Thomas, Mike Evans, and Joey Galloway. Pretty good company. Uh, Terry had that great touchdown reception that I hit on. The Taylor Heineke first quarter, third and four, 19-yard shotgun touchdown pass to Terry, who made the one-arm catch with his right arm, then broke through the attempted tackle by Fabian Moreau, and then jogged into the end zone. Uh, The commander's fourth offensive drive resulted in Joey Sly's second quarter 42-yard field goal for a 13-10 commander's lead. Uh, Terry on this drive, multiple key moments. Second snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, second and nine, 20-yard under center play action completion to Terry McLaurin. Third snap of the drive, Taylor, first and 10, nine-yard Shotgun completion to Terry. Seventh snap of the drive. Third and seven for the Commanders at the Giants 41. Terry drew a five-yard holding penalty on Fabian Moreau. And then on the 12th snap of the drive, uh, Terry should have been rewarded with a pass interference penalty on Fabian Moreau. Uh, Terry had multiple impressive receptions on screens in this game. Commander's eighth offensive drive resulted in Joey Sly's fourth quarter missed 52-yard field goal attempt. The fifth snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a first and 10 12-yard shotgun play action completion to Terry McLaurin on a screen. The Commander's third offensive drive did result in a second quarter three and out, but the third snap of the drive on a third and 13 for the Commanders at their 22, Terry McLaurin, a tremendous job of generating yards after the catch on a 12-yard reception on a shotgun screen pass 
from Taylor Heineke. Terry nearly got the first down on that play. Uh, Curtis Samuel, he on Sunday afternoon, six receptions for 63 yards on seven targets and three carries for 23 yards. He had the two big receptions on the Commanders' game-tying drive in the fourth quarter. He also had a big run in overtime. Uh, The Commanders' 12th offensive drive was their first offensive drive of overtime. Did result in a punt, but the second snap of the drive, Curtis Samuel, a second-and-eight, 21-yard shotgun handoff run. And Jahan Dotson, uh, he on Sunday afternoon had five receptions for 54 yards and a touchdown on nine targets. Came into the game having not done much lately, right? Jahan Dotson was a pretty significant topic of conversation in the days leading up to the game. Jahan came into this game having totaled just two receptions for 27 yards on four targets over three games since returning from a five-game absence that was caused by a hamstring injury. But Jahan on Sunday afternoon was back to being a big-time factor, and his touchdown reception was one of the plays of the season for the Commanders. A late fourth-quarter, first-and-ten, 28-yard touchdown reception on which Jahan made a five-star run after the catch, got by corner Zion Gilbert, and then spun away from corner Nick McLeod and route to the end zone. Jahan on the reception generated 21 yards after the catch. This was a 28-yard touchdown reception. Jahan produced 21 yards after the catch. Uh, Also, that commander's second offensive drive, which resulted in the Taylor Heineke first quarter touchdown pass to Terry McLaurin. The first snap of that drive, Taylor had a first and 10, 16-yard I-formation play-action completion to Jahan Dotson. So we in this tie at the Giants did have some good stuff from the commander's passing offense, and we had more good production from the commander's rushing offense. Uh, The Giants for the 2022 regular season through Week 12 were number 27 in the NFL in run defense per DVOA, and the commanders in this game adequately exploited the Giants' run defense. Running backs Brian Robinson Jr., Antonio Gibson, and Jonathan Williams, and receiver Curtis Samuel, those four guys combined for 34 carries for 159 yards. Uh, That works out to 4.68 yards per carry. Brian Robinson Jr. had another impressive game, 21 carries for 96 yards, and he had two receptions for 15 yards on two targets. The commander's first offensive drive resulted in the Joey Sly first quarter 21-yard field goal for a 3-0 commander's lead. Brian Robinson Jr. on this drive, three carries for 23 yards and one reception for 10 yards. The sixth snap of the drive, second and 10 for the Commanders at the Giants 22. Brian Robinson Jr. had a 16-yard under center toss run. Uh, Antonio Gibson, he on Sunday afternoon played despite being questionable for the game due to a foot injury. Uh, He had nine carries for 39 yards and two receptions for 20 yards on four targets. The Commanders in this game moved the ball. Uh, They finished with 411 total net yards of offense and won the time of possession battle by 12 minutes, 12 seconds. Uh, This is why the 20 points were disappointing. Bad pass protection, costly penalties, bad on third downs. The margin of error for the commanders with their style of offense, you know, this conservative run-heavy offense is slim. And there was too much error for the commanders on offense on Sunday afternoon. More from Rod Rivera during his post-game press conference on Sunday afternoon. It really is kind of who we are. I mean, we, we, we play close games, play tight games. Um, you get some breaks, you don't get some breaks. You know, um, the, the, the one I think that really still kind of hurts us a little bit is the uh, sack fumble in the opening third quarter. 
you know, we put gave them position to score, and they scored a touchdown. And from that point, we were battling back to you know to to get back to even. And and we were fortunate enough that we did it. Uh, it was a heck of a throw and catch, and then run by Jahan uh, to, to to give us a chance to 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 win it at the end. And um, so that's part of it right now. That's that's who we are. That's our identity. You know, we we try to run the ball, be physical, um, keep them close, and then see what happens. Yeah, well, we 13 games into the Commanders' 17-game 2022 regular season. Have a pretty good idea of who and what the Commanders are. Just like we, after 40-plus years, know what the law firm of Paulson & Nace is about. Founded in 1979, Paulson & Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. If you have a case, contact Paulson & and Nace, call 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace treats its clients with respect and dignity and wants what is best for the firm's clients. Paulson and Nace will treat you, your family, and your situation with the care and expertise that you deserve. And Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Heck, this past July, Paulson and Nace won a case for which the United States government must pay nearly $1.8 million. Uh, This to a former American University field hockey player because of a military doctor's failure to diagnose and treat the student for a 2011 concussion that left her with permanent symptoms. Uh, You may have read about this. Paulson and Nace took on the U.S. government and won. Uh, If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. Don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. The commander's defense in the 20-old tie at the New York Giants on Sunday afternoon, you know, it didn't always feel like the defense played well, but ultimately it did play well yet again. Uh, Keep in mind, this is a commander's defense that remains without arguably its top corner and definitely its top linebacker. Uh, Corner Benjamin St. Juice was inactive for a second consecutive game due to a right ankle injury that he suffered in the win at the Houston Texans in week 11. And linebacker Cole Holcomb is on the reserve injured list. He's been on that since November 25th due to a foot injury that had caused him to be inactive for each of the commander's previous four games. Cole has not played in a game since the win over the Green Bay Packers at FedEx Field in week seven. Uh, Also, still no Chase Young. Uh, edge defender Chase Young on Sunday afternoon, inactive again uh, due to his right knee. We're still awaiting on his 2022 season debut of him suffering the torn right knee on November 14th, 2021. 
Uh, and the Commanders remain without the guy who was supposed to be their number three interior defensive lineman this season, Fedarian Mathis. Uh, he has been on the reserve injured list since September 12th due to a left knee injury, a reported torn left meniscus that he suffered in the first quarter of the win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field in week one. But the commander's defense on Sunday afternoon, to me, played well. You start with the most basic but important thing. The commanders allowed the Giants to score just 20 points. Over four quarters and an entire overtime, the commanders held the Giants to just 20 points. Uh, This was the ninth consecutive game in which the commanders allowed 24 points or less. That is the longest active such streak in the NFC. Uh, Also, the commanders held the Giants to just 4-13 on third downs. The commanders' defense has been very good on third downs this season. Uh, Also, the commanders held Giants running back Saquon Barkley to 18 carries for 63 yards and a touchdown. Uh, That works out to just 3.5 yards per carry, and two of Saquon's runs totaled 34 yards. So his other 16 carries went for just 29 yards. Uh, Saquon Barkley now joins the list. Uh, That would be the list of standout running backs who the commanders have contained this season. The Dallas Cowboys, Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. Uh, The Minnesota Vikings, Dalvin Cook. The Houston Texans, Damian Pierce. Now Saquon Barkley, all contained by the commanders this season. Uh, We had another takeaway. The Commanders generated a takeaway on the opening drive of the game. The Giants' first offensive drive, fourth snap of the drive, second and five for the Giants at their 42. Interior defensive lineman Jonathan Allen, a forced fumble. Linebacker Jamin Davis, the fumble recovery on a five-yard shotgun read option run by quarterback Daniel Jones. The ensuing Commanders' offensive drive resulted in kicker Joey Sly's first quarter 21-yard field goal a 3-0 Commanders lead. Uh, I mentioned John Allen. More excellent work by John and fellow interior defensive lineman Deron Payne on Sunday afternoon. John had a sack in addition to his forced fumble. Deron had two more sacks. Remember, the first three letters of Payne are P-A-Y, and this guy is going to get paid this offseason off this contract season from the heavens that he's having. But Giants' second offensive drive resulted in a first quarter three and out. Second snap of the drive on a second and seven for the Giants at their 28. Deron Payne, a sack of Daniel Jones for a nine-yard loss as Deron abused right guard Mark Lewinsky. Uh, The Giants' 12th offensive drive was the opening drive of overtime resulted in a punt. The fourth snap of the drive, third and five for the Giants at their 43. Deron Payne, a sack of Daniel Jones for a seven-yard loss. How big was that sack? Uh, Credit as well to Jonathan Allen and edge defender F.A. Obata for generating pressure on the play. Uh, John did get banged up on the play, but he came back into the game. Deron Payne for the 2022 regular season now, a career-high eight and a half sacks and a career-high 16 quarterback hits. Again, the first three letters of Deron Payne's last name, P-A-Y. The bad from the commander's defense and the tie at the Giants had to do with the commanders again having problems with Daniel Jones. I tell you, if you didn't know better and all you ever saw was Daniel Jones against Washington, you would think 
that this guy is an elite quarterback. Jones on Sunday afternoon completed 25 of his 31 pass attempts and had 12 carries for 71 yards. We talked so much about Daniel Jones, the run thread, and yet the run threat ended up delivering on the threat. Uh, now, it is worth noting that Jones, over his 31 pass attempts, threw for just 200 yards. Uh, that works out to a yards per pass attempt of just 6.45. Also, the commanders did sack Jones four times and did generate that lost fumble. But Daniel Jones made a lot of plays in this game. The Giants' fourth offensive drive resulted in Saquon Barkley's second quarter first and 10, 13-yard under center handoff touchdown run. The first snap of the drive, corner Christian Holmes got beat by receiver Darius Slayton out of Daniel Jones' first and 10, 55-yard under center play action bomb to Slayton. The fourth snap of the drive, Third and seven for the Giants at the Commanders 23. The Commanders gave up a 10-yard shotgun scramble by Daniel Jones as edge defender Montez Sweat gave up contain of the Giants' sixth offensive drive. was their first offensive drive of the second half, resulted in Daniel Jones' third quarter second and goal, six-yard under center play action touchdown pass to receiver Isaiah Hodgins, who beat Kristen Holmes. Third snap of the drive, third and four for the Giants at the Commanders' 14. The Commanders gave up a seven-yard shotgun run by Daniel Jones. Uh, he had other big runs in this game. The Giants' Third offensive drive resulted in former Redskins kicker Graham Gano's early second quarter 48-yard field goal that cut the commander's lead to 10-3. Fourth snap of the drive, the next-to-last snap of the first quarter, commanders gave up a second-and-eight 21-yard under-center play-action scramble by Daniel Jones, who had wide-open real estate up the middle and also on the play was a five-yard holding penalty by safety Cameron Curl. And even on that Giants' first offensive drive that resulted in the Daniel Jones lost fumble, the second snap of the drive, the Commanders gave up a second and seven, nine-yard under center play action scramble by Daniel Jones. By the way, Kristen Holmes, uh, he got benched in favor of corner Danny Johnson. Uh, and Johnson did play well. He finished with a sack and two pass defenses. Uh, here was Commander's head coach Rod Rivera during his post-game press conference on Sunday afternoon on benching Holmes in favor of Johnson. You know, we, we wanted Christian to be a little more aggressive. Um, Danny Danny was a little more aggressive. You know, he, he almost had a couple interceptions today because very smart, has he, player. Yeah, overall, good job by the Commander's defense in this tie at the Giants on Sunday afternoon. And the Commanders needed that. Uh, as we talked about last segment, the offense was good, but also not so good. Uh, Commander's special teams on Sunday afternoon, some good and some not so good. Uh, Joey Sly, 2-3 on field goals, 2-2 uh, two two on extra points. He connected on a first quarter 21-yard field goal and on a second quarter 42-yard field goal, but he had a missed 52-yard field goal in the fourth quarter with the Commanders trailing 2013. And how about that third quarter three-yard kickoff return by running back Antonio Gibson. Uh, Gibson on Sunday afternoon had two kickoff returns, a 24-yard return of the second half opening kickoff, but also a disastrous three-yard return on which he fielded the ball at the commander's two, but only got to the commander's five. Uh, the ensuing commander's offensive drive was that drive that resulted in a punt despite the drive consuming nearly eight minutes off the clock. And we had corner Rashad Wildgoose committing two penalties 
on one play. Uh, Wild Goose committed two penalties on a fourth quarter Giants punt. He was guilty of both an offside penalty that was declined and a nine-yard holding penalty that was accepted. The ensuing commander's offensive drive started at their nine and resulted in a punt. Up next, we'll begin unpacking the non-commander's items from our Washington, D.C. area sports weekend, including the Wizards, who on Sunday evening got destroyed by one of the best players in the NBA. He plays for the Los Angeles Lakers. And no, I'm not talking about LeBron James. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, a bad weekend for the Wizards. Uh, Two more losses. The Wiz now have lost six of their last seven games. Friday night, a 117-116 loss at the Charlotte Hornets. The Wizards did not lead in the game over the final three quarters, trailed by 22 points in the third quarter. The Wizards did then win the fourth quarter, 28-10. And then Sunday evening, uh, the Wizards fell to 11-13 with a 130-119 loss to the Los Angeles Lakers at Capital One Arena. Uh, The Wizards did not lead in the game over the final three quarters, trailed by 29 points in the third quarter. Uh, Bradley Beal, back to dealing with injury. Uh, He, on Sunday evening, played for just 3 minutes, 29 seconds as a starter due to right hamstring tightness. Uh, Beal, in the loss at the Hornets on Friday night, had a mixed game in 39-46 as a starter. He went just 2 of 8 on threes and committed 2 of his 3 turnovers over the final 90 seconds of the game, with the Wizards trailing by a point at 117-116. But Beal also went 10 of 16 on twos and 7 of 8 on free throws, finished with 33 points, 7 assists, and 6 rebounds. Uh, Beal, in the 4th quarter, that the Wizards won 28-10, scored 11 points, but now we got to see 
where he's at with this right hamstring issue. Uh, the Wizards continue to be without Rui Hachimura. He now has missed eight consecutive games due to right ankle soreness. Uh, also, the Wizards continue to be without DeLon Wright. Uh, he remains out due to a grade two right hamstring strain that he suffered in a 120-99 win over the Detroit Pistons at Capital One Arena on October 25th. Friday night, the Wizards' defense was horrible <laughs> over the first three quarters. Then was great in the fourth quarter. The Wizards, over the first three quarters, allowed the Hornets to score 107 points, go 12 of 22 on threes, and have 22 assists versus three turnovers. But the Wizards, in the fourth quarter, held the Hornets to just 10 points, 0 of 7 on threes, and just 4 of 16 on twos. Sunday evening, the Wizards' defense really was all about one guy, the Lakers' Anthony Davis. Uh, the Wizards got assaulted, victimized, and brutalized by Anthony Davis on Sunday evening. They allowed Davis in 37 minutes, 33 seconds as a starter to have 55 points. Yeah, double nickel, 55 points. Also, Davis had 17 rebounds and three blocks. Uh, he went two or three on threes, 20 <laughs> of 27 on twos, and 9-9 on free throws. Uh, the Wizards had zero answer for Anthony Davis. Uh, this was Wizards head coach Wes Unsell Jr. during his post-game press conference on Sunday night. Uh, he's a really good player, obviously, trying to look at um, you know his impact in pick and rolls. We knew going in the, um, the combinations of pick and rolls between him and LeBron, Westbrook, um, and it was strength of that team. And we didn't handle it very well. Uh, I tried to make some adjustments and, and didn't do that very well either. Um, I think a lot of the, he got a lot of easy ones, putbacks, you know, got to the line, drives, transition. And I think, you know, all those combinations of, of plays really kind of pad things up. So now he's just playing with a level of comfort. Yeah, Anthony Davis got quite comfortable playing against the Wizards on Sunday evening. The Wizards in this loss to the Lakers also were not very good offensively. Uh, Corey Kispert went 4-6 on threes off the bench. The rest of the Wizards went a combined 6 of 33 on threes. Uh, Kispert finished with 16 points in 29-36 off the bench. He also played well in the loss at the Hornets on Friday night, played for 31-22 off the bench, including for all 12 minutes of that fourth quarter that the Wizards won 28-10. Uh, Kispert went 4-7 on threes, 1-1 on twos, and finished with 14 points, 5 rebounds, and a team best plus-minus rating of plus 17. And speaking of playing off the bench, guess who is back to playing a decent amount? Daniel Gafford. Good to see this. Uh, he had been buried in the doghouse of Wes Unsell Jr., but uh, Gafford has been playing a good bit over these last two games now. Uh, Gafford, in the loss at the Hornets on Friday night, played for 23 minutes, 38 seconds off the bench, including for all 12 minutes of that fourth quarter that the Wizards won 28-10. This marked his most playing time in a game since playing for 24 minutes, 46 seconds off the bench in a 113-105 win over the Dallas Mavericks at Capital One Arena on November 10th. Uh, Gafford in this loss at the Hornets on Friday night, 10 points, 12 rebounds, including six offensive boards and an astounding six blocks. Uh, now, he did go just three of eight from the field, all twos, and did go just four of 10 
hot in free throws. But geez, 10 points, 12 boards, including six offensive rebounds and six blocks in less than 24 minutes off the bench. And then Gafford in the loss to the Lakers at Capital One Arena on Sunday evening played for 20-36 off the bench. He went 9-10 from the field, all twos, 1-2 on free throws, finished with 19 points, seven rebounds, including four offensive boards and two blocks. When Daniel Gafford is on, his per-minute production is really good, and his per-minute production in each of these last two games, quite good. Uh, we have seen West Unsell Jr. play Gafford and Chris Stamps Porzingis at the same time some, and uh, that pairing is showing some promise. Uh, also for the Lakers on Sunday evening, LeBron James, uh, 34 minutes, 27 seconds as a starter. He went just 2 of 7 on threes, but 10 of 19 on twos, 3 of 4 on free throws. He finished with 29 points, 8 rebounds, and 6 assists versus 5 turnovers. And the former wizard, Russell Westbrook, uh, 28 minutes, 38 seconds off the bench, 0 of 1 on threes, 3 of 7 on twos, 6 points, 15 assists versus six turnovers and seven rebounds. Next up for the Wizards at the Chicago Bulls, Wednesday night at 8. All right, let's talk some college basketball. We, over the weekend, had games for number 22, Maryland, Georgetown, number three, Virginia, and Virginia Tech. In that order, we'll take the games in that order. A big win for number 22, Maryland. The Terrapins improved to 8-0 overall and 1-0 in the Big Ten with a 71-66 win over number 16, Illinois, at Xfinity Center in College Park, Maryland, on Friday night. This was the first big test for the Terps this season, and they passed the test. Uh, now, passing the test wasn't easy. Uh, the Terps blew an 11-point second-half lead, but they ended the game on a 9-4 run. And how about the timing of the game? This game happened one day before the one-year anniversary of Maryland on December 3rd, 2021, announcing that Mark Turgeon, quote, in a mutual decision, end quote, was stepping down as head coach for the Maryland men's basketball program. Remember, that announcement came out of nowhere. Uh, Turgeon, in stepping down on December 3rd, 2021, stepped down a mere two days before the Terps' Big Ten opener for the 2021-2022 season, uh, which ended up being one of the more lifeless and depressing Maryland basketball seasons in decades. Well, here we are a year later, and well, I'm not going to plant the flag of victory, okay? We still have to see a lot more from this team with Kevin Willard as its head coach. Boy, if you are a Terps fan like me, how do you not feel so much better about the program right now as compared to a year ago? Uh, Willard with the 95-67 blowout of St. Louis in Connecticut on November 19th became the first head coach in Maryland men's basketball history to begin his first season as Terps head coach 4-0. Well, he's now 8-0, and among those wins is a win over a ranked team in Illinois. You know, Turgeon is Maryland head coach in regular season games against Associated Press Top 25 teams went just 19 and 41. The lack of big wins for Turgeon as Terps head coach to me was the biggest problem for Turgeon as Terps head coach. Well, Kevin Willard now is 1 and 0 as Maryland head coach in regular season games against 
AP top 25 teams. Uh, you know, Kevin Willard and others pra- practically begged fans to come to this game on Friday night, and the crowd for the game ended up being great. Uh, announced attendance was 16,380, and the crowd was loud. Uh, this was Willard during his post-game press conference late night on Friday night. That's what Damon and I, that's, that's what we talked about. I want to get this program back to way to a championship level. To get it back to a championship level, you need to, you need a building like that every night. I mean, if you look at Kansas's, Kentucky's, those type of programs, which I think this program is on that level, they have a crowd like that every night. And if we can get that every night, um, you're going to win more games than you're going to lose. Yeah, that crowd on Friday night really was reminiscent of the great home crowds that the Terps had with Gary Williams as their head coach. Uh, Now, of course, you got to give crowds reason to be loud. And the Terps on Friday night did that, uh, thanks in large part to two players, Jameer Young and Hakeem Hart. Now, they weren't the only two Terps players who played well on Friday night, but Young and Hart combined for all nine of the Terps made threes and for 41 of the Terps, 71 points. Uh, Jameer Young, he's a graduate transfer from Charlotte. He went to DeMatha Catholic High School in Hyattsville, Maryland. He connected on a big contested three from just to the right of the top of the arc with the shot clock winding down for a 70-66 Terps lead with 14.3 seconds left in the second half. That was the shot of the game. Uh, Young in 34 minutes as a starter, 4-9 on threes, 5-11 of 11 on twos, and 2-2 two two on free throws. He finished with 24 points, 4 rebounds, and 2 assists versus 1 turnover. And Hakeem Hart, 34 minutes as a starter, 5-6 of six on threes, 1-3 of three on twos. He finished with 17 points, 5 rebounds, and two assists versus one turnover. The Terps on Friday night won despite getting outscored in the paint 44-28. The Terps held Illinois to just 5-20 of 20 on threes, but allowed Illinois to go 22-41 on twos. Uh, Julian Reese did have a tough game, 29 minutes as a starter. He committed four fouls and three turnovers. He went 1-2 from the field, all twos, and just 3-6 of six on free throws. Scored just five points, did have seven rebounds. But the Terps got the big win. Next up for Maryland at Wisconsin, Tuesday night at nine. Uh, So Maryland appears to be on the rise, but Georgetown continues to fall. Man, the Hoyas. Uh, They fell to four and five overall with a 74-71 overtime loss to South Carolina at Capital One Arena on Saturday afternoon. The Hoyas lost to a South Carolina team that came into the game just three and four overall in the 2022-2023 season, including a 79-55 loss at George Washington last Wednesday night. Yet Georgetown at home lost to a South Carolina team that lost to GW by 24 points. And this was yet another game for the Hoyas in which they blew a significant lead. The Hoyas blew an 11-point halftime lead. Georgetown so far this season is choking away leads left and right. This really is something. The Hoyas began their season with a 99-89 overtime win over Coppin State at Capital One Arena on November 8th. The Hoyas in that game blew a five-point lead with less than 20 seconds left in regulation. Uh, Georgetown went 1-1 one one in the Jersey Mike's Jamaica Classic. The Hoyas on November 18th got routed by Loyola Marymount 84-66 in Jamaica. The Hoyas in that game blew a 42-32 halftime lead, lost the second half 52-24. The Hoyas on November 20th defeated LaSalle 69-62 in Jamaica, but the Hoyas in that game blew a 41-21 
halftime lead. They then ended the game on a 7-0 run. And the Hoyas in a 74-70 loss to American at Capital One Arena on November 23rd blew a 16-point first half lead and a 40-30 halftime lead. The Hoyas this season cannot hold on to a significant lead to save their lives. Uh, The Hoyas on Saturday afternoon allowed South Carolina to go 15 of 21 on twos after halftime. Uh, South Carolina's best player is this guy, Gregory G.G. Jackson, the second. He went scoreless in the first half, but then scored 22 points in the second half. The Hoyas held South Carolina to just 10 of 31 on threes, but went just three of 18 on threes. Uh, All three of the Hoyas made threes came from one guy, Arizona State transfer Jay Heath. He had a good game. Uh, He's a local. He went to what was then known as Woodrow Wilson High School in Washington, D.C. He last month was declared eligible by the NCAA to compete this season. Heath on Saturday afternoon, 42 minutes, 30 seconds as a starter, three and nine on threes, four or five on twos, six to six on free throws. He finished with 23 points and six rebounds, but the rest of the Hoyas went a combined 0-9 on threes and just 6 of 13 on free throws. Uh, the Hoyas lost despite having just nine turnovers to South Carolina's 16 and 23 points off turnovers to South Carolina's four. Uh, next up for Georgetown, home to Siena, Wednesday evening at 6.30. Number three, Virginia improved to 7-0 overall and 1-0 in the ACC with a 62-57 win over Florida State at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville, Virginia on Saturday afternoon. The Cavaliers led by 10 points with less than 90 seconds left in the second half, then saw that lead get cut to three with less than 10 seconds left, but ultimately held on for the victory. This was not a pretty victory for the Cavs, but this was a victory. The Cavs made their last seven free throw attempts, went 21 to 26 on free throws. FSU went nine and nine on free throws. Uh, The Wahoos, shockingly, were very good defensively. I mean, this has been the case for years under head coach Tony Bennett. Virginia wins with defense and uh, UVA on Saturday afternoon certainly won with defense. The Hoos held FSU to just six of 18 on threes and just 15 15 of 46 on twos and largely defended without fouling. I mean, again, FSU for the game totaled nine free throw attempts. UVA won despite not being good offensively. I mean, the score at the half was Florida State 22, Virginia 21. I mean, you know, this game was not a work of art. Uh, UVA for the game went just 5 of 19 on threes and just 13 of 32 on twos and finished with just nine assists versus 12 turnovers. But Virginia got the win. Uh, 5'10 graduate student point guard Kihei Clark, for whom this season is his fifth collegiate season. He's been playing for Virginia forever. Uh, He had a good game on Saturday afternoon. 35 minutes, 27 seconds as a starter. He went 1 of 3 on threes, 3 of 6 on twos, and 9 of 10 on free throws. Finished with 18 points, 3 assists versus 3 turnovers and three rebounds. Uh, Kihei got some revenge for what happened on his senior day last season. Virginia's previous game against FSU was a 64-63 home loss on senior day this past February 26. The Cavs in that game blew an 11-point second-half lead. The concluding seconds of that game were crazy. Armand Franklin drilled a pull-up jumper from just beyond the free-throw line with one second left 
for a 63-61 Virginia lead. But then, incredibly, Matthew Cleveland connected on basically a shot from Cleveland uh, on a miracle spinning catch and shoot three from well beyond the three-point line behind the left wing off a three-quarters court inbounds pass for a 64-63 Virginia loss. No such dramatics on Saturday afternoon as the Hoos remain unbeaten. Uh, Next up for them, home to James Madison Tuesday night at 8. The next Associated Press Top 25 poll will come out on Monday. Virginia has shot up the rankings in recent weeks. Uh, The Cavs for this game on Saturday afternoon with the number three team in the country. Here was Tony Bennett during his postgame press conference on Saturday afternoon on his team being the number three team in Division I this early in the season. I don't want to say it's insignificant. It's it's significant to get off to a good start and play good basketball in the games we have, but the number's the number. There's so much basketball left, and there's such, you know, we were in fights at Michigan, Baylor, Illinois. I mean, those games, um, our first game against North Carolina Central, I mean, those are battles. And, and this game here, uh, no one, we aren't the kind of team that is just going to, you know, dominate you and sh- think we can show up and just win. If we do, that would be surprising to me. And, you know, the, the message was, you know, walk in the way we should go today. Just just walk in the right way, our way, how we have to play. And excuses or distractions, injuries, sickness. We had some guys banged up, and you could see that. Um, the entire, whatever the case, those are, those are distractions. A ranking or, you know, oh, they beat us last year. We got to get revenge. That's what you, Florida State. None of that stuff matters. What matters is how you practice, then you step onto the court in the game, and all the other stuff is fluff. It's what you do between the lines. It's you, your opponent, and um, and the officials. <laughs> That's what it is. And nothing else matters. And everybody gets all hyped. Oh, I showed our guys a cool video Jack Salt sent me. It was it was really good. It was a um, it was a story about the plank, and um, it just is about it's about normalizing what you got to do and not getting caught up. That's what I think our best teams have done. And sure, they're young and they hear stuff, but it's our job to say, this is about playing and get ready as we can and prepare for a a heck of a GMU team. They can score and they're good. And they took it to us last year and we'll have to be ready. I get that. All right. And then Virginia Tech. It on Sunday afternoon notched a big win. The Hokies improved to 8-1 overall and 1-0 in the ACC with an 80-72 win over number 18 North Carolina at Castle Coliseum in Blacksburg, Virginia. Tech led for all but about the first three minutes, 10 seconds of the game. Uh, held Carolina to just three of 17 on threes. Out-rebounded Carolina 39-25. Big game for Justin Mutz. Uh, he in 38 minutes as a starter, 101 on threes, 11 of 15 on twos, and 2 of 2 on free throws. He finished with 27 points, 11 rebounds, and 4 assists. Did commit 5 turnovers, but okay, fine. Uh, the Hokies are looking quite good so far this season. They should be ranked in the Associated Press Top 25 poll that comes out on Monday. Maryland, Virginia, and Virginia Tech all should be ranked in the AP Top 25 on Monday. Next up for Virginia Tech, home to Dayton, Wednesday night at 8. Well, the Capitals have a game on Monday night at the Edmonton Oilers at 8.30. This will be game five of a season-long six-game road trip on which the Caps are 1-2-1. and one. Uh, The Caps fell to 10-12-4 and four overall with a 5-2 loss 
at the Calgary Flames on Saturday night, but the final score was uh, only part of the bad news for the Camps. The injury-ravaged Camps got even more injured. Uh, They lost two more players due to injury. Goaltender Darcy Kemper, uh, he suffered an upper body injury in getting elbowed by Flames forward Tyler Toffoli and did not return to the game. And defenseman Martin Fahervari suffered an upper body injury and did not return to the game. And he, after the game, had his left arm in a sling. This was precisely not what the Caps needed. Uh, more injuries, and yet the Caps got more injuries, including one to their number one goaltender. Uh, the Caps already were without a bunch of guys due to injury. Defenseman Dimitri Orloff and five forwards, Nicholas Backstrom, Tom Wilson, Connor Brown, Coral Hagelin, and Beck Malenstein. Those guys have been out for a while. Uh, it actually had been a bit of a while since the Caps had incurred another injury. And then all of a sudden, late night on Saturday night, two more injuries for the Caps. Uh, so with Darcy Kemper, he stopped 24 of the 26 shots on goal that he faced, but he in the second period suffered this upper body injury and again, getting elbowed by Flames forward Tyler Toffoli. Uh, Kemper was relieved by Charlie Lindgren. Uh, he stopped seven of the nine shots on goal that he faced. We'll see how severe this injury to Kemper is. The Caps on Saturday night for a second consecutive game got smashed in the puck possession battle, but also did a good job of uh, not getting smashed in terms of shots on goal. The Caps per natural stat trick had just 37 five-on-five shot attempts to the Flames 65, uh, but the Caps finished with 29 shots on goal to the Flames 36. I mean, that's not good, but that discrepancy could have been a lot worse. The Caps totaled 20 block shots. Defenseman John Carlson had a game-high four block shots, also had a third-period even-strength goal. This game was similar to the Caps' previous game, the 3-2 overtime loss at the Seattle Kraken this past Thursday night. The Caps in that game, per natural stat trick, at 29 five-on-five shot attempts to the Kraken's 63, but the Caps finished with 23 shots on goal to the Kraken's 25 as the Caps totaled 25 block shots. Still, though, I mean, you'd like to see the Caps be a bit better in five-on-five play than the team has been in each of its last two games now. Uh, The Caps on Saturday night did have a good game on special teams. The Caps went 3-3 on the penalty kill and 1-4 on the power play. Winger Connor Sheary had a first-period power play goal. You know, Sheary, for this 2022-2023 regular season, is second on the Caps with nine goals. First on the Caps in goals is winger Alex Ovechkin with 13. He, on Saturday night, played in what was his 1,300th career regular season game with the Caps, but he had no points, just one shot on goal, and just three total shot attempts. He did have three block shots and three hits, but how about this with Ovi? Uh, He, despite leading the Caps in goals, is dead last on the Caps in plus-minus rating. And I know that plus-minus rating isn't everything, but Alex Ovechkin for the 2022-2023 regular season has a team-worst plus-minus rating of minus 13. The first true winter meetings for Major League Baseball in three years have begun. Uh, The winter meetings, in theory, are an annual multi-day get-together of uh, MLB executives and managers and agents uh, at which trades and 
free agent signings can get done, but don't necessarily get done. Uh, We in 2020 only had virtual winter meetings due to the COVID-19 pandemic. We in 2021 had no winter meetings due to the lockout, but we in 2022 have actual winter meetings. So they're taking place in San Diego Sunday through Wednesday. We do not expect significant activity from the Nationals this offseason due to their rebuilding state and ownership uncertainty. We do expect significant activity from the Orioles this offseason. They finally are coming out of their rebuild, and O's Executive Vice President and General Manager Mike Elias has said that the O's are going to spend money this offseason, although what exactly that means is anyone's guess, given the Orioles' ownership uncertainty. Remember, we have the Angelos family feud. Uh, The Orioles' ownership group, of course, has been led by Peter Angelos and his sons John and Louis Angelos. Peter has been in failing health for years. Louis Angelos this past June 9th filed a lawsuit against his brother John Angelos and their mother Georgia Angelos for control of the team. The situation is uh, rather messy. Anyway, we over the weekend did get some Orioles news. Uh, We on Saturday afternoon had multiple reports that the O's have agreed with free agent starting pitcher Kyle Gibson on a one-year contract. Uh, He would seem to be the Orioles replacement For Jordan Lyles, uh, the O's on November 9th announced that they had declined their club option for the 2023 season for Lyles. I would not have had a problem with the O's bringing back Lyles, but he for the 2023 season would have received an $11 million salary. The O's may well be able to get from Gibson in 2023 what they got from Lyles in 2022, maybe even more, and for cheaper. Uh, We don't know the exact terms of the Gibson contract, but it's safe to say that this isn't some mega money one-year deal. Kyle Gibson is entering his age 35 season, so he is an older pitcher, but there are two things that I really like about Gibson. The first is that he has been extremely durable. Uh, Gibson, over his 10 major league regular seasons, 2013 through 2022, has a 162-game average of 34 starts. Uh, This guy has a very limited injury history. He gives you starts. He gives you innings. That's a big deal. A second thing that I like about Gibson is that he has done some good things over the last two seasons, uh, during which he pitched for the Texas Rangers and Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, Gibson on July 30th, 2021, was traded by the Rangers to the Phillies. Gibson in the 2021 regular season was outstanding for the Rangers. He had 113 innings over 19 starts, had an ERA of 287, and an ERA plus of 154. 100 is average, above 100 is good. 154 is terrific. Uh, Gibson, over the 2021 and 2022 regular seasons with the Phillies, had an ERA of 506. Uh, That obviously is really bad, but his fielding independent pitching, his FIP, which is an ERA-like number that accounts for that which a pitcher truly controls, home runs allowed, walks allowed, hit by pitches allowed, and strikeouts, was 421. The Phillies over those two seasons were horrible defensively. And the thinking with FIP is that it is a truer representation of how good a pitcher is because a pitcher can't control the defense behind him. The Phillies for the 2021 regular season ranked dead last in the majors in defensive runs saved at minus 54. The Phillies for the 2022 regular season ranked number 25 out of 30 major league teams in defensive runs saved at minus 34. And the O's for the 2022 regular season ranked tied for number nine in the majors 
in defensive runs saved at plus 38. The idea with Kyle Gibson from the Orioles' perspective would appear to be that he, with the Phillies, pitched better than his ERA would suggest, that he was the victim of some horrendous defense by the Phillies. Uh, The O's have become a lot better defensively, in part due to them now being all in on analytics, so the O's maybe, hopefully, can maximize Gibson. Uh, There's also this. Kyle Gibson is much more of a ground ball pitcher than Jordan Lyles is, and uh, that's big. You always much rather have a pitcher who gives up grounders uh, than a pitcher who gives up fly balls. We'll see exactly how much more from the O's this offseason is coming, but them agreeing on a one-year contract with Kyle Gibson makes sense. All right, one more item before we call it a show. College football. Uh, Bowl games are set. Maryland will play number 23 NC State in the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Yes, (laughs) the Mayo Bowl at Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte, North Carolina on Friday, December 30th at noon. Liberty will face Toledo in the RoofClaim.com Boca Raton Bowl in Boca Raton, Florida on Tuesday night, December 20th at 7.30. And Liberty has found its head coach to replace Hugh Freeze, who was left to become Auburn's head coach. Liberty has hired a Coastal Carolina head coach, Jamie Chadwell, as head coach. We had an introductory press conference on Sunday afternoon. That's a good hire for Liberty. Uh, Chadwell at Coastal Carolina, 31-6 and over the last three seasons. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi, you can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday's show, episode 457. We'll have a lot more on the commanders of them moving to 7-5-1 with this 20-all tie at the New York Giants on Sunday afternoon. We on Monday expect to have the day after the game press conference of head coach Rod Rivera. Also on Tuesday's show, I'll talk Capitals. They are at the Edmonton Oilers Monday night at 8.30. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. I, I addressed them, and I wasn't sure how to address them, um, you know, because we came up here, and, 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 you know, we expected to win, and uh, we didn't. We tied, and it's, uh, you know, because it, it, it doesn't hurt us, it doesn't help us. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua, and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter, and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film, and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.